Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Phil Muscatello and Finpods are authorized reps of Money Sherpa. The information in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal situation. Shares for beginners. Weekend watch list. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners Weekend Watch List, where we take a close look at an individual company that you may wish to consider for your watch list. It's not a recommendation to buy, but a way for you to learn how Stockopedia screens for value. Joining me today is Chris Batchelor, and we're talking Ordinate Group Limited, ASX code 88. G'day, Chris. Hi, Phil. Great to be with you again today. And great to see we're both wearing black T-shirts because um, this company is all about the people that wear the black T-shirts when you're at a concert or at a conference, isn't it? That's right. It's all about those sound guys in the middle of the room sitting behind a desk with so many knobs and dials that you think, how could anyone possibly know what all those things do? They're the guys we're talking about today. And also the ones that lay the cables as well, which is what Ordinate seems to be replacing, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's right. Got a very interesting technology, actually. It's looking forward to this discussion. It is. It's an amazing technology, what they've, um, what they've achieved, especially here just coming out of Australia, because it also involves a lot of hardware manufacturers around the world as well. So please, tell us about Ordinate. Yeah, okay. So Ordinate, for those who don't know, is a Australian company, relatively small, although growing rapidly, uh, was formed some 20-odd years ago by a couple of guys who were working in the technology sector, found themselves redundant and decided to step out on their own. And one of them was a keen musician and was always noticing that he was constantly having to plug in and unplug different types of connectors and trying to get it all to work together. And so using his technology background, came up with this concept for a a system that enables the production of sound over IP. You can use networks to transfer sound. And by using that technology, they were able to substitute a lot of the, the cabling, etc., that takes place and also enable sending sound from one locality to another in, a, in an efficient manner. So they initially got some government support and then they've built this business uh, themselves, listed in 2017 and are doing astoundingly well. Because one of the aspects of this is it's this technology, it's not only standalone, this Dante, which is their flagship product, becomes enabled and embedded in the products of major audiovisual manufacturers around the world. That's right. So the way they work is they sell their product or they license their product to different manufacturers of audiovisual products. And so what they have, have now is they have 621 customers at last count. And, and so they're the big companies like your Yamahas and Sonys and as well as lots of smaller companies that make this equipment. And then they are in, those companies are installing the chips, the modules, the, the cards or, or just the software of Dante into their products. And so there's over 4,000 professional audiovisual products that carry this standard, this Dante standard. And what's that it's effectively happened is that they've basically become the industry standard for this type of technology. They are ahead of their nearest competitor by about a factor of 12. 
And that means, of course, as more and more of these products are sold, there's more and more demand for the Dante components. And so they become an essential part of the ecosystem. Uh, So they're not selling themselves to the end user. They're selling to the companies that make these products. But as those companies experience success, they in turn experience success. And so what they've done is they've kind of got two main drivers here. One is they're trying to get their Dante system into as many products as possible. So they try and engage with firms at the design stage. So when they're building a new product, they try and get them to design Dante into that product. And then the other thing they've done is they've trained AV professionals. And they've now managed to train over 240,000 individuals on a global basis. So that's a lot of people that are very familiar with this system. And the logic there is that those people, when they're buying a new product or when they're talking to their company saying, hey, we need some new equipment, they're going to be saying, let's get stuff with Dante in it because we know that system, we know it works really well and we're familiar with it. And so far that strategy is working. They're growing very strongly as a business. And they're building and and widening a moat as well, because it's not easy to get into some of these larger manufacturers as well. Yeah, that's right. And once you sort of become that de facto standard, it's kind of like everybody feels they have to have that system because their products will not be interoperable with other products. And every, you know, as we all know, if you get technology that doesn't work with other technology, it's just a pain in the neck. So it's everyone wants stuff that works with other stuff. And, and they've become that sort of underlying uh, platform that links it all together. Let's look at some of the use cases, because it's not just about um, a large Taylor Swift gig, for example, but it can be also be for conferences, but also for corporate infrastructure as well, especially with uh, networking and remote working and uh, meetings being brought together as well. So tell us a little bit about um, some of those. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, you've highlighted some of the key examples there, but there is a wide range of things. So things like universities, where you've got a lecture theatres, churches, a lot of uh, larger churches that have quite um, sophisticated sound systems are now installing this equipment, conference facilities, as you said, and then recording studios, of course. You know, there's a whole wide range of applications that people might not immediately think of, but where this type of equipment is used. I mean, right now we're talking on a podcast, right? We're sitting in opposite sides of the cities. We're using microphones, et cetera. You know, it's not particularly sophisticated technology, but nevertheless, there's got to be something underlying it that, that hooks it all together. And the uh, it's quite interesting, I find, the, the whole church usage because we don't actually understand in Australia how large the churches are in the United States and how much they love their AV equipment. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, you've got churches in the States with up to 50,000 members. They're, you know, they're the size of large auditoriums that seat tens of thousands of people. And to get a quality, you know, to hear the message, to hear the music, you've got to have quality AV. Also, it's being recorded, it's being live streamed on many occasions. So all this stuff, you know, they're using the very latest in technology. And a lot of churches actually lead the way. I mean, in Australia, we're probably more familiar with Hillsong. Uh, again, a very big auditorium. They do a lot of album recordings, uh, you know, conferences, etc., where they're using very best technology in terms of this sort of stuff. And in the states, that's on steroids. You know, there's lots of churches of that sort of magnitude across the U.S. So you briefly referred to the history of this company, um, and a musician with a head full of crazy ideas. Um, fill us in a little bit more about that. 
you know, they built the business organically, but then when we got to 2017, they decided to list the business, raise capital on the share market. And at that time, their revenue was around $15 million. Today, it's $85 million. So that's, you know, good, strong revenue growth. But also, they listed at a price of $1.22. They're now trading at $21.78. They haven't paid any dividends, I should point out, over that period. But nevertheless, that capital appreciation is pretty massive. You know, what's that, 20 times? Uh, so the growth profile of this business in the time that has been listed is quite staggering. It also speaks to the quality of the, the management to be able to achieve these kind of results in a highly competitive industry with a new technology. That's right. And the co-founder is still the CEO. So, you know, it's the same guys that formed the business. The other co-founder is the COO, Chief Operating Officer. So it's the same team that are, are really driving this business forward. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Are you picking shares on gut instinct? Buying on press tips or rumours? Do you struggle to find the time to keep up with the research and analysis that goes into evaluating potential stocks? Stockopedia are pleased to offer a special deal to listeners of this podcast, a 14-day free trial and a 10% discount on the first year of membership. Sign up now at y.stockopedia.com sfb. There's no better time to access the most comprehensive, easy-to-use investing toolbox for DIY share investors. 10% off. 14-day free trial and a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's why.stockopedia.com slash sfb. So what is it about this company that's brought it up on your radar? On the Stockopedia page, it seems to be a very, very high momentum score and a tiny value score. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. So this is what I would call a classic quality and momentum stock. It scores really well on those two metrics and then scores abysmally on value. And so when you analyze the business, first of all, let's talk about quality. So quality reflects the underlying financials, the fundamentals of the business. And when we look at that, we, we look at the health score, it's pretty good at five. There's virtually no risk of bankruptcy. They've got lots and lots of cash. They did a capital raising last year at $13 where they raised $70 million. So they've now got $112 million in cash sitting on their balance sheet, which they're planning to use for um, some expansion. We can maybe talk about that in a minute. You know, they're, they're returning decent uh, margins, decent return on equity, not not exceptional, but, but pretty decent. Then also profitable. They did go through three years, particularly during the pandemic, where they weren't profitable. They were still growing, but their revenue did take a hit. And if you think about it, that's sort of not unsurprising. When you think about the types of situations we've just been describing, concerts, etc., they stopped during the pandemic for periods of time. And so, of course, there was no demand for their equipment. But what we find here, the other thing you mentioned, of course, was momentum. Momentum is 99 out of 100, so almost as high as you can get. The price is leaping and forward in staggering amounts. Since the 
company reported only a week or two ago, they're up 36%. Likewise, analysts' expectations are growing and growing. Obviously, if we look, we'll look at the half-year results in a minute, but they were very strong. But all that means the price is very high compared to the value metrics. And so it only scores six in terms of value. PE ratio is 155. Price to book ratio is 11. Price to sales ratio is 21. In fact, one of the things I like to look at, the market capitalization of this business is 1.8 billion Aussie dollars. The total addressable market as set out by the company themselves is 2 billion US dollars. Those two numbers are getting pretty close to each other. And so you kind of got to look at and say, well, where is the growth coming to justify a price to sales ratio of 21? Maybe it's there. I don't know. I mean, I was looking at this years ago when it was $6 and thinking, gee, it looks expensive. Now it's, you know, $21. And I'm thinking, gee, it looks expensive. So, yeah. You yeah, it's all, the, it's all the, the coulda, woulda, shooters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like last week we spoke about core lithium and uh, talking about what a, well, I won't, I won't use the word dog of a stock, but it it's, um, hasn't been looking good. And then suddenly after we recorded the podcast, it was, it's up, um, oh, I'm not sure, quite, quite a lot in the last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so let, let's have a, a bit of a dig into the half-yearly report. What's that showing? Yeah, so the half-year report was really strong. Revenue was up 50%. The The shipment of their chips, cards, and modules, what they call CCM, so that's basically hardware that goes into AV equipment, that was up by 116%, and then their software units was up by 28%. But overall, that led to total units shipped increasing by 78%, and that's just in the half-year. Their margins improved marginally. Um, the gross margins are 71.8%, so that's a very high gross margin. Their growth in expenses was also high, but at 32%, that's well below the revenue growth. And they're now in a position where they're starting to really take advantage of this operational leverage. Their EBITDA grew by 137%, so that's a, a top-line measure of profit. And they made a small bottom-line measure of profit of $4.7 million. Operating cash flow, positive, free cash flow, positive, and, and both improving substantially. So it was a really positive uh, result in terms of the, the financials and the, the amount of uh, product that they're shipping. And so, of course, that's why you've seen this amazing pop of 36% in the share price since that uh, event. Okay, so you referred to the expansion and uh, the outlook for the future. How is uh, that expansion being handled and um, in which direction is that going? Yeah, so as I said, they raised 70 million in September last year. Now, what we haven't yet talked about is as well as the um, AV, the sound type stuff, they have also made a big push into video. And so a lot of this expansion is to move into that video space and try and grow the business in that space. They're looking at potential M&A opportunities to try and accelerate that video strategy and also what they call their cloud strategy. So yeah, using the, the cloud to be able to do a lot of this stuff. So yeah, they're really pushing um, that video side of the business. And that's where you know I talked about the total addressable market. When I looked at this three years ago, the total addressable market was $1 billion. They're now saying it's $2 billion. That's largely because they've moved into adjacent areas such as video. And, and you know, the more they are able to do that, the more potential they have to uh, grow the business. As I said, they're getting close to already addressing their total addressable market. But if they can expand that 
uh, total addressable market through um, acquisitions or through developing new technologies, then that gives them more room for growth. So how are they going in terms of penetrating that video space? Yeah, they're doing pretty well. It's, it's nothing like the scale that they've achieved with the uh, audio. However, they only started in this market back in 2020 when they started to introduce some video products into the market. And they're already up to 50 um, original equipment manufacturers, or OEMs as they're known, that are licensing this, what they call Dante Video. Uh, and that's up from 30 just a year ago. So they're seeing some strong growth there. A number of the Dante-equipped products they supply has increased from 20 to 66. So again, really strong growth. But of course, 66 is nothing like the 4,000 that they have in the audio space. So they are managing to expand their addressable market by moving into video. It's an incredible story, really, isn't it? I mean, there's so many small Aussie companies like this, uh, I mean, small on the world stage, who find a niche and address that niche and provide an outstanding solution. I mean, it makes us pretty proud Aussies, doesn't it? It does. It does. It's one of those heartwarming stories where um, a couple of guys in a garage type of scenario have managed to build a really successful business and, and are now major players on the global stage. So do you see any risks moving forward? The, the obvious risk, the elephant in the room, if you like, is the price. You know, when it's sitting at, at uh, closed at 21.78 last night, um, a P ratio of over 150, it doesn't take much for that to unravel. Expectations are sky high at the moment. And if for whatever reason, revenue growth doesn't quite meet those expectations, it could really get punished and punished quite severely. So that's the risk you take if you buy a momentum stock, is if the momentum turns, it can turn at a rapid rate and you can find yourself sitting on a large loss very quickly. The other risk is that a competing product comes in and starts to undermine their their market. And you know, in the world of technology, you know, it's great to have a, a product that is becoming a standard, but if someone comes out with something that's much better, it's quite conceivable that that market could shift quite quickly. Okay, so do you have any final thoughts on 88? Um, anything that we haven't covered so far? Well, I'll just say in summary that it, you know, it really is a great business. As we said, it's it's great to see an Aussie business that's done so well on the world stage. They're gearing up for rapid growth, and so far they seem to be achieving that. Whether they can grow at a rate that justifies such a high valuation, that's really the big question. It is a niche industry, but within that niche, they do look to be a very attractive proposition. Fantastic. It's a great story. Chris Batchelor, thanks very much. Thanks, Phil. Great to be with you again. Thanks for listening to Shares for Beginners. You can find more at sharesforbeginners.com. If you enjoy listening, please take a moment to rate or review in your podcast player or tell a friend who might want to learn more about investing for their future. 